episode number 198 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and CXO Talk brings the most innovative leaders in the world to talk about the impact of digital disruption on our world, on our, on our society, and on our companies and organizations. Today, I am so thrilled because we're speaking with Martha Heller. Martha is a multiple book author, and she is the founder of Heller Search Associates. And Martha is a, is a very prolific speaker at Chief Information Officer events. And without a doubt, one of the, the leading and most important thought leaders among CIOs and supporting that CIO community anywhere in the world. So I'm so thrilled to welcome Martha. And I also want to say a huge thank you to Livestream, which provides our video infrastructure. And Livestream folks, if you're listening, we love you. You guys are great. So thank you. So Martha Heller, how are you? I'm doing great. You're making me feel like a rock star, Michael. I appreciate it. Well, I think in the world of CIOs, you, you are the rock star. <laughs> and that's my no point. lie. My point exactly. All right. Well, <laughs> so, so Martha, uh, tell us about the things that you do. Give us some sense of context and place. And, and I see sitting next to you is your latest book. And so tell us. Absolutely. So... Uh, uh, thanks so much for the question, Michael. You know, I joined CIO Magazine back in the late 90s when I uh, started a co- an online column for CIO Magazine called Sound Off. And I have been engaging with the uh, CIO community ever since then. So uh, I believe I have communicated some kind of message to the CIO community on a weekly basis for the last 17 years. So if you do the math on that, that's quite a bit of content, quite a bit of volume. Uh, In 2005, I decided to parlay that experience and those networks into the wonderful world of executive search. So my firm recruits CIOs and the folks who work for them. And boy, once you're trying to convince a CEO to hire a CIO, your knowledge of the challenges and contradictions of the CIO role becomes quite acute. So uh, at this point, I run a search firm. I write all different kinds of content for the CIO community. And I've just been endlessly fascinated by the evolving nature of that role. And, the, you know, I also find it interesting that the historically, and this is changing, historically the CIO role has been mostly a, a male-dominated profession. You're one of the, the top influencers in that community, and yet you're, you're a woman. So I find that's, that's also quite interesting as well. Well, you know, I'll just address the gender diversity among CIOs. It is true that uh, the percentage of, of, of CIOs who are women is very, very small. And, you know, what's changing is that IT is not the only destination for women who are interested in technology. Marketing, for example, is hiring technologists. Uh, uh, every company is becoming a technology company. So women interested in technology need not uh, have uh, IT on their career plan. There are many other uh, opportunities for technology-oriented women. 
in terms of my role and being a woman in this sea of men, uh, part of that is journalism. My background is journalism, which has been uh, more oriented toward gender diversity, let's say, than IT. So even though I have chosen the wonderful CIO as my journalistic subject for the last 17 years, my background really ultimately is jur- journalism, where you do have more gender diversity. In fact, we are doing a show next week with Andy Karabudis, who used to be the CIO of Dell and yeah. is now uh, an executive vice president at Biogen, Correct. along with Kim Stevenson, who is who, who also was the CIO of Intel and is now chief operating officer of one of their divisions. And we're That's- going to be talking next week about exactly these issues. And what's interesting about that is, you know, both those instances, very strong female CIOs who are now uh, leading organizations uh, that have CIOs in them while they have moved on to broader business responsibilities. I'll bring up another uh, topic for a moment, uh, and that is uh, CIOs on boards. You know, that's been a, a topic of great interest to the CIO community are corporate boards appointing CIOs? How do I get uh, in line for one of those very rare opportunities? Many instances of uh, CIOs on corporate boards uh, involve women. That, you know, whether it's corporate boards also trying to achieve more diversity, uh, I'm not sure, but you find many instances of women who have CIO backgrounds who are also appointed to corporate boards. So you mentioned, you you spoke about uh, tensions and, of course, the CIO role is changing, the role of technology in organizations is changing, and maybe a good place to begin is your view of what actually is changing in the world that's driving CIOs to need to evolve. Sure. So... You know, I'm going to quote Basque Iyer, who is the CIO of VMware. And he was a guest on our show. Basque is great. It's a small circle. You run in small elite circles. So uh, Basque talks about the CEO missing out syndrome. And it's where a CEO says, I like my CIO. He or she has kept costs down. We're as secure as I believe we can be. We've outsourced the appropriate functions. We've got good resilience, employee productivity tools. My CIO has done a great job. In fact, he's done everything I've asked him to do. However, I feel like I'm missing out. There are cool things happening in Silicon Valley. You know Uber. What's going to be the Uber in my industry? And are we really on top of the technology innovation that's going to allow us not to be disintermediated? And I look at my CIO and I think, you know, my CIO has never really been an innovator. He's been an operator, which I've needed and have asked for. I'm going to go hire a chief digital officer. So, you know, that move, which many CEOs are uh, making, can be fine, but it can also spell trouble for an organization for a number of reasons. CIOs who would like not to work under yet another technology leader would be well advised to step in to what I call the digital leadership void and drive digital transformation, not all by themselves, through partnerships and alliances as they've always done everything. But you know why now? What's happening with the CIO role? It's CEO-driven. 
and it's in part, and it's CEOs saying, uh, we need digital transformation here. My CIO is an operator. I'm going to hire this other person, or I'm going to hire a new CIO. So digital transformation is driving an evolution of the CIO role toward influence, strategy, getting closer to the revenue stream. What I will also say is I've just talked about the demand side uh, part of the CIO evolution. It's CEOs expecting more from technology, more from IT. But I think CIOs themselves are also thinking, you know, how am I going to spend this incredible digital revolution that we're in the middle of? Am I going to sit around implementing the ideas of others? Or am I going to move and go to a company or change my role here that allows me really to be in the heart of it and to create a whole different layer or level of change? So ultimately, what's changing is every company is becoming a technology company. Software is making its way into products and services in ways we've never seen before. That will have an impact on the leader of the technology function. So when you talk about the digital void, what do you mean by that? And what, how, how can a CIO fill those shoes? So I think one important concept to understand is that digital is not a function that requires a new executive and new hires and new resources. Digital is a capability that companies need to adopt across all of their businesses and all of their functions. CIOs who understand their roles as critical capabilities champions, I have a uniquely end-to-end view, and I can see where we're doing little pockets of digital innovation, where we're not doing any digital innovation, which business leaders are spending on digital technologies, which aren't. I need to create digital as an enterprise capability and bring all of that to my company. Because if I don't, we're going to have little pockets of what I think of as vertical digital innovation. We don't have enterprise scale. We don't have an enterprise strategy. And we're entering risk into the organization. So, you know, the digital leadership void is where CEOs are attempting to to Uh, clamp down on or get behind this concept of digital. So their instinct is to throw a new executive at it and to throw a function at it when really digital is an enterprise capability that a CIO with his or her unique end-to-end view is capable of driving. I'll make one more comment on this. I, uh, whenever I talk to a CIO and they say something pithy or philosophical or existential, I, I steal from them and I uh, tweet it out. I tweet out something that they've said without attribution because, hey, we don't have the character space, nor do I want, to, I want it to be more real time than that. And then at the end of my book, I took my favorites from the last year and just listed those. And the one I love the most, I have to say, is a CIO who said to me, We don't need a digital strategy. We need a business strategy for a digital world. And I think that is a concept that all the leaders in the company need to have rather than thinking what's digital. We don't really know what it is. It could mean a lot of things. Maybe it's marketing. Maybe it's supply chain. Maybe it's employee productivity. Let's hire a new new executive to figure it out. So the idea that the digital strategy is really a a business strategy rather than just a technology strategy, 
of course, makes perfect sense. But I think the question then comes up, if you are a CIO and you want to be the person who is leading this, what are the obstacles that may interfere with that happening? And how do you overcome those obstacles? So probably the greatest obstacle is a perception that IT is an operator and that IT is about uh, support and enablement and not about innovation and strategy. And what I would say to CIOs in their own companies is if that perception is so embedded into the fabric of the culture and is so deeply held, perhaps this culture is not the right or this environment is not the right place for you to achieve your digital leadership dreams. And it may be time to pursue another opportunity where you have a chance to change those perceptions. That would be one major obstacle and probably the most significant. Another obstacle is uh, the team. If you have a team of people who feel that their role is to wait for the order and then take the order and execute on the order, you will not be able to achieve digital leadership because uh, you may change your relationship to the business, but if your senior team hasn't changed theirs and you don't have the right people in those spots, uh, you will also have trouble changing that perception. But I would say, you know, the, the, the best way to start moving toward uh, digital leadership is, again, to recognize that digital is a competency and your job is to create that competency. I'll give you an example. So Dave Smoley is the CIO of AstraZeneca. And Dave uh, said, you know, we've got pockets of digital activity all over the place, but we're not talking to each other. So he set up a digital center of excellence. This is a cross-functional group. It doesn't exist in any one department. It's not in marketing. It's not in IT. And he brought in people from all different parts of the business that he felt uh, had a leadership role to play in digital transformation. Once he got the center off the ground, he brought in a leader from an area of the business, someone who had a lot of experience and respect, but this is critical, had some systems implementation experience. It's fine and dandy to talk about the pretty front end, but everything's got to tie up with architectural integrity and somebody with implementation experience will understand that. He also made sure that in the center of excellence, he placed somebody in his IT organization. He happened to put his CTO in there. And what he said was, I want to avoid the scenario where there's the digital conversation and then there's the IT conversation. There should be one conversation. And so Dave incubated it. He got it off the ground. And then once he felt that the digital center of excellence was on firm footing, he moved on within AstraZeneca to climb other mountains. Another thing that he did and that I've seen many uh, CIOs of large companies do is they take their executive committee on a field trip to Silicon Valley, where they meet with a whole host of new vendors who are doing cool digital work in their field. That's the work of a CIO in digital transformation and those are some first steps, not easy steps, but what's easy, really? Those are some first steps CIOs can make to combat the past perception that IT enables and supports but does not drive and to start getting that digital competency grounded across the enterprise. Yes, Dave, excuse me, Dave Smoley is certainly a great 
CIO, innovator. Arsalan Khan on Twitter is asking, how do you prioritize things like strategy, politics, education from the CIO perspective? How do you how do you prioritize this if you want to move forward and fill that digital void, as you call it? Well, I would say the first priority is get your house in order. You know, if we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, don't talk to me about self-actualization if I don't have a roof over my head. Don't bother having a conversation about strategy if no one's getting their email. So I would say if you're going to prioritize, the first thing to prioritize is that you have your uh, basics, basic fundamentals of IT in shape. The second piece is the team. Do you have a team who can partner with a certain area of the business and have a conversation that that business leader feels is peer level conversation? You have that in order. Another thing I would look at is, do you have uh, agile development and DevOps and some other forward-looking development and delivery processes in place? And once you've got your house in order, then it's about making sure that you are a part of the conversations where, where vision and strategy are discussed. You know, I'll bring up another concept now in response to our uh, uh, audience question. Um, This comes to me from Scott McKay, who's the CIO of Genworth Financial. And Scott says, you know, in a a boardroom or in an executive committee room, around the, you've got chairs around the table and chairs along the walls. The chairs around the table are filled with the what executives. They decide what the company is going to spend its money on and what the company is going to do in terms of strategy. Then you've got the chairs around the walls. And those are the how executives. Oh, that's the strategy. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Here's how we're going to get it done. And uh, CIOs have traditionally been in that how seat. And it's a good thing too, because ideas without execution are cheap. So the how executives, the CIOs have spent their careers getting stuff done. Now, when IT has an opportunity, not only to support business strategy, but actually to inform and define it, It is time for CIOs to switch chairs and to get up to that what table. Now, they can't let go of the enabling because, you know, everything's got to get done, but it's about expanding their horizons. So in terms of prioritizing, I would say, one, it's uh, make sure you got your house in order, which includes your killer senior team. But then after that, it's to do that gut check and make sure you're ready to go and be that what executive. It's a different level of personal risk to say, here's what we should do, not here's how we're going to do it. And then it's getting into those meetings and making sure you really understand the strategy. And of course, if you don't understand the business context, don't worry about the strategy. And then from there, it's like anything else. It's vision becomes a strategy. Strategy becomes goals. Goals have timelines. And Lord knows CIOs know a lot about that. Uh, Martha, everything you're saying, of course, makes perfect sense, but it also has built into it the assumption that the CIO herself or himself has the business experience, the capability and the skill to take on this innovative business role and work across silos and departments and organizations 
inside the company. And, and that can be a challenge as well. Well, that's part of the job. <clears throat> you know, I was giving a keynote recently to a, uh, a large group of CIOs. And when I got to this section about being a what executive rather than a how executive and doing the gut check to take the personal risk to drive strategy, a CIO stood up and he said, but I don't think I have the skills to do that. He said, I like implementing. I could implement all day long. And I said to him, great, know yourself, know that you love to implement, but don't be surprised or confused or concerned when your CEO hires a chief digital officer or a chief innovation officer. So what I would say is to those CIOs who say, I don't have the skills, I don't have the business acumen, and I'm happy doing what I'm doing, keep doing it, but understand that as the business becomes more technology-oriented, your role will be marginalized, and new technology leaders who are not in IT are going to come on board, and you're going to have to deal with them as business partners. So you know that's one piece of it. If you don't have the skills or the business context and you're okay with that, define your role accordingly. But if you want to be a digital leader, having business understanding is everything. Here's a great place to start. This is actually quite pragmatic and revolutionary all at the same time. So let me, let me just finish this thought. I'm sorry, Michael. Sorry. Here's a great place to start. Stop using traditional IT metrics to measure your team. Stop defining investments and uh, a performance by three nines and uptime and release times and start using the metrics of the business. Uh, JetBlue, for example, Ish Sundaram, who was CIO at JetBlue, and now he's CIO and chief innovation officer. So he's certainly someone who's moved forward in this way. He no longer measures his team on any traditional IT metrics. He shares with them the same metric held by the entire airline which is called departure zero. How many of our flights leave the gate zero minutes after departure? He measures their performance, his team's performance, and he measures their investment priorities based on its impact on D0. When you are measuring your team on the same metrics that the business holds dear, guess what? You've got a level of business acumen you didn't have before, and so does your team. And so, you know, it's a very interesting point. How common is this at, in today's world? Seems like it's, it's very much in transition. I would say one of the biggest challenges for CIOs is letting go of a degree of traditional control that their own IT organizations have, already, have always had over technology. And when you let go of metrics that have always measured uptime and resilience and cost uh, and start using business metrics, it can be very unnerving and scary for people who have not done that before. So I think in, in the whole wave of companies that have been slow to adopt newer technologies that have kept IT in traditional silos, I would agree that using business metrics uh, is still a ways off. But I talk to my book is filled with CIOs who are leading innovation in their companies, who are business leaders, and it's become much more widespread. And I think we will see a uh, permeation uh, through IT organizations in all, all different industries of business metrics as the barometer 
for success rather than IT metrics. Now, one comment on that, when those CIOs turn around to manage their IT vendors, I'm sure they will be employing traditional IT metrics. We're talking with Martha Heller, who is a multi-book author and truly <laughs> one of the most important influencers in the CIO community. And uh, Martha, you have your, your most recent book next to you, so please I, hold it up for us. I do. Here it is. Here it is right now. Be the Business. Yes. And, and Martha, let's talk about the relationship between the CIO and these positions like CDO, Chief Digital Officer. And you explained how the CDO role comes about, which is there's this digital void as you call it. And if the CIO doesn't step up to fill that void, the organization will hire somebody else who does. But in many organizations, that's not even an explicit decision that happens. The organization or the CEO feels, hey, we need to get a, a CDO in here. And so what is the quote unquote right relationship between the CIO and other executives like the CDO, CMO, that are all encroaching and interrelated and overlapping with IT today? You know, I'm going to take a step back in answering that question, Michael, and talk about the fact that we have been in an industrial economy since, I would say, the very early 19th century. We've been in a digital economy for like five or 10 minutes now. The industrial economy is all about more assets, more plants, more real estate, bigger teams. The industrial economy is about building walls around our companies to separate us from other companies and building walls around our departments. The digital economy is very different. The digital economy is about algorithms trumping teams. If you can do something with an algorithm and you don't need a team, that is often a a better way to go. It's about leveraging partnerships and, and, and breaking down the walls around the company and between the uh, departments in a business. It's about creating permeable boundaries so that our vendors are not held at arm's length, but become a part of our workforce. And so the most important work for a CIO to do vis-a-vis his or her executive uh, uh, peers question is to use an enterprise end-to-end perspective to free executives from their traditionally held vertical prisons so that they can look up across out at their digital future together. So it's the CIO's ability to get his or her peers to start thinking fundamentally different about their business. And I'm going to give you a great example. So this is one of my very favorite CIOs, Kathy McGillicott. She's now the CTO at McKesson. But when I interviewed her, she was the CIO at Emerson, the electronics company. So when she was CIO at Emerson, when she came on board, she said, you know, we're aligned. IT has a strategy that is aligned to where the business is going. However, This business is putting sensors in all of our products. We're collecting a tremendous amount of data. That's great. But we have not crafted a business strategy that capitalizes on any of that. The very fundamentals of what we are and what we do as a business must change based on 
Internet of Things and Big Data and all of that. So what she did was she put together a something she calls the Business IT Strategy Board, 25 executives from across the business and said, I want to meet quarterly, monthly, I don't remember the, the frequency, and let's talk about big topics. So in her first meeting, she got them all together, and then she realized they were all sitting around waiting for her to give project status updates. And she said, that's not what this meeting is. So she brought IBM in to really workshop a strategy meeting with them. And then she was able after that to run quarterly meetings about information security, about internet of things, about what would happen if we put the customer at the center of everything we did here. Now, some of these topics had a, had a technology bent and some did not. It's almost irrelevant. Her job as CIO vis-a-vis -vis her executive peers was to facilitate a conversation that allowed them to look horizontally and together at the future of the company. Regardless of whether there's a CDO or a chief information officer or whatever in the mix, that's the CIO's most important work. And but still, as a as a as a practical matter, that relationship, uh, the organizational boundaries, and the politics in many companies start to come into play. And so what's the most effective? So so again, what is the the right role, and what's the most effective way? for the CIO to interact with these, these peers? Well, I would say, you know, Lee, I mean, again, this is classic stuff, Michael. I think I probably, in 1999, I probably wrote this article for CIO Magazine. <clears throat> but it's understand your business partner's challenge, understand it in business terms, consult with them about the growth plans or challenges of their business, and then define an IT strategy to help them with that and then oversee its delivery. I mean, that's how you win friends. But when it comes to driving innovation, which is one of our topics here, pick a fearless uh, executive for whom you have delivered successfully in the past, someone who believes in you and has your back and work with that person on something new and innovative and use that as a test case. Once you've got a success there, uh, as my friend Steve Gold, the CIO of CVS says, uh, uh, wash, rinse, and repeat. So collaborate on, on a business case, on, on the innovative, interesting business case with the right business partner. Absolutely. And use that almost as a marketing tool to bring in those other more skeptical executives. That's a really key point. Now, you mentioned putting the customer at the center. And how does that translate onto the CIO and CIO activities? Well, I think for a long time, uh, we looked at uh, business uh, opportunities from the perspective of uh, our supply chain or our manufacturing processes or <clears throat> what makes sense in terms of how we need the numbers to move to create shareholder value. Well, now we're in a situation where uh, customers call the shots. Customers have a lot more uh, flexibility in who they do business with. Customers have a different, uh, uh, different thoughts around the style in which they want to do business. And companies that are not 
uh, acknowledging that the customer is at the center of everything they do are going to be spending money in the wrong places. But here's I would I would also issue a cautionary tale. Now putting the putting the customer at, at, at the center of, of of everything that we do was a strategy that uh, Kathy McGillicott at Emerson brought forth to her team. But here's where I would uh, have a cautionary note about that. When companies envision a chief digital officer or, or the idea of digital uh, transformation or innovation, very often they think about marketing, right? And the customer, customer engagement in marketing. That's our digital. That's where we're putting our digital technologies. That's where we want our CIO to spend most of his or her time. But the fact is digital is not marketing, but with social media instead of print ads. Digital is much more than that. Digital is supply chain. Digital is employee productivity. Digital is the way we engage with our partners. So, you know, while sure, we want to put the customer at the center of everything we do, we also want to conceptualize digital transformation as something larger than at that point where the customer and the company meet. Now, another, we're, we're going through some of the strategies that you describe in your book that CIO should adopt to be successful. And a really interesting one is you talk about storytelling. And we hear storytelling, again, as you were just saying in relation to customers, we hear storytelling associated with marketing. Mm -hmm. So when you say that the CIO should be a storyteller, tell us what you mean by that. Sure. So... You know, ever since we were little, we loved uh, to hear a story, right? And for those of us who have children, you know exactly which books have the pages falling out of them because we had to read that story so many times. And stories are a great way for two parties of very different backgrounds to get to a common ground on something abstract. And CIOs are always in the uh, position of having to get to common ground on something abstract. So I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, Malini Balakrishnan, when I spoke with her, she was the CIO of a construction company. And when she got there, she said, we have such old uh, technology. We're having outages left and right. And what we need is an ERP. So she went to the team and said, we need an ERP. And the CFO said, you will, this is a verbatim quote, you will pry the old system out of my cold, dead hand. So she thought, okay, I need another approach. So she came up with an idea of taking a clip from the movie Speed. And in that movie, Keanu Reeves is a detective and he uh, is protecting a, he's got a bus that has a bomb on it and it'll explode if it goes uh, less than 50 miles an hour. So he has the idea of bringing another bus onto the highway, got to keep both of them going at 50 miles an hour. And everybody from the one bus has to walk a rickety, scary plank across the highway on these speeding buses to the other. And so she presented that clip to her executive committee and said, this is our ERP situation. We got to get a new bus ready while the old bus is running and everybody's got to walk from one bus to the other. And once she was able to show that clip, she was able to get them to the point of understanding the need for the ERP. And of course, people mentioned that story to, to others. So she had people carrying her story forward for her, where if she had shown an architectural schematic of the legacy systems overlaid with the ERP, she would not have had as much of an understanding of what was needed to move forward with the company. So that's just an example of she didn't have to come up with a story herself. 
She found something great that everybody could relate to. That's a great way to get uh, executives on the same page, at least initially in moving forward. So the issue here is communicating in a manner that the business will find compelling and particularly that the business will find relevant and meaningful to their situation and that will push the business, therefore, to make the change that, that you as the CIO want to be made. So- Absolutely. I'll give you one, one more example. And this was a CIO of a large pharmaceutical company who said he was having trouble getting his uh, uh, fellow executives to understand the multiple roles that, that IT plays. So he hired a photographer to take an aerial view of a three-lane highway. In the highway, you had in one lane motorcycles, in another lane taxi cabs, and another lane big 18-wheelers. And he said, the 18-wheelers are our global processes and global technologies. We're not creating change there. Don't even bother asking us to change that. That's solid. The taxis are the more localized solutions for different regions that need something more specialized. And the motorcycles are pockets of innovation. New sculpts works, cool stuff we're doing. The idea over time is that the motorcycles become taxis and the taxis become trucks. But he said after he walked out of that meeting, having shown that aerial view, he saw the light in the eyes of his executive committee. So a story doesn't have to be a fable. It can be a photograph. It can be a pie chart. But it needs to be something precisely designed to communicate something abstract and complex to a variety of audiences. So, so relevance is at the heart here. And can you talk about, and we hear about relevance and the CIO. So, so let's talk about what are the factors that make a CIO relevant to the business? I love that question because I have a great answer for it. And uh, this comes to me from the CIO of GE. Because, you know, Michael, I have no original thought. All I do is just take the good thoughts of CIOs and put them together in a palatable form. Uh, But what uh, 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 Jim Fowler, the CIO of GE, is concerned about is the relevance of IT and the relevance of CIOs. And he says that, you know, we have a generation of workers graduating from college uh, coming into our businesses, and they're self-helpers. They want to create their own algorithms, their own digital tools. They don't really want to wait around for IT. So for IT to stay relevant, IT has to find a way to embrace that innovation and be a catalyst for that innovation. So I'll bring up the concept of shadow IT for a second. When I think about that old school style of CIOs saying no shadow IT on my watch, no business executives are going to go out and buy their own technology and damage my architectural integrity or introduce security risk or cost challenges into my infrastructure. I imagine a man alone on a beach with his hand up and a tsunami is coming over the beach. Well, that CIO can go ahead and put another hand up, but it's not going to stop the rise of uh, workers who want to be much more empowered with their ability to create their own technology solutions. So Rob Lux is the CIO of Freddie Mac. And when he joined Freddie Mac, uh, there were a lot of concerns about end user computing. That is business leaders who have hired their own development shops to create their own little applications. Well, that's all well and good until those applications become mission critical and have performance problems. And then they call IT 
to say, hey, the words, the, the phrase they use, productionalize. Can you productionalize? And IT would say, boy, wouldn't it have been nice if you had involved us a little bit earlier? So rather than clamping down on in EUCs, end-user computing, Rob created a development platform to allow end-users to go crazy. Develop your own tools, but do it in a secure environment using these tools. So a real concept here that I want to get across is it's one thing to say to IT, be the business. But another thing we're really saying is let the business be IT. IT does not own IT innovation and delivery investment decisions, adoption, or even development. If end users want to develop, let them develop. They're going to do it. So give them the platforms to do that. That is being a catalyst and staying relevant rather than saying, yeah, you got to wait for IT. That's a perfect way for IT, for CIOs to become, to become obsolete. So, so the, we have about five minutes left. So it seems like the core of what you're saying is the, the really innovative CIOs, the successful CIOs are finding ways to engage the users, not put up boundaries, but invite the users in. That's, ex- that's exactly right. So what you're starting to see, this is, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that we have only five minutes because, you know, I could go on all day long, but I want to bring up an important concept and I'm seeing CIOs replace titles in their organizations of, you know, this is an applications manager. This person has responsibility for these technologies. And instead they're starting to talk about product management whether that product is something that will ever hit the external market or whether that product is a finance system that is for internal use only. And so what we're starting to see on these product teams are cross-functional teams. So marketing, business analysts, product development, IT, and even within IT, you've got apps and ops and architecture all on these same teams. In fact, Jim Fowler, CIO of GE, calls it a teams of teams structure. So when you conceptualize email as a product or ERP as a product, suddenly you realize on that product team, you can't only have people from IT on that team. You need end user representatives on that team. Product teams blurs the boundaries of what is IT and what it belongs to the quote business that IT serves. So that Product management, and one of my chapters in my book is called Think Product, because as software makes its way into most companies' products, where does IT development stop and product development start? That is a blurry line that product leaders and CIOs need to start figuring out, because that's where a lot of innovation can happen. So we have just two or three minutes left. Martha, and would you summarize your, the distilled essence of your advice to CIOs? What's the, the, the bottom line here of what's most important? I would say that what's most important is that one, CIOs, CIOs start to conceptualize their role in the organization And this comes to me, by the way, from Paul Chapman, the CIO of The Gap. Uh, As an internal professional services firm, 
That professional services firm provides secure information security, software development, product development, management consulting, email, data center hosting, vendor management. And once you see yourself as the CEO of a professional services firm uh, supplying uh, all of these services out to the business, suddenly those boundaries and organizational design is all going to become clear to you. So that's one. Another, let go of control. The notion that, I'll bring this up super fast, not everybody who uses the tools of finance at a company report into the CFO. Not everybody who considers themselves a developer needs to report into IT. Let your people go. Get into the digital mindset where empire building is out. It's about collaboration, blurring boundaries, letting go of control. And here's the critical one. Despite the fact that you run an IT organization, CIO, that is not your primary role. Your primary role is to use your end-to-end view and all of those wonderful analytical tools that allow you to demonstrate what's going on across the enterprise and become the critical capabilities champion of your company. Let your executive peers know what your company is good at and where it needs improvement and that that's where they should be spending their precious investment dollars. That's your job. Wow. Well, (laughs) this has been a... uh... Martha Heller has given us the textbook on how to be a CIO. And, uh, oh, and there it is. You're holding up the book, Martha's, Martha's uh, most recent book. And what an amazing show this has been. You've been watching episode number 198 of CXO Talk with Martha Heller. And if you're a CIO, catch the replay. Go back to CXO Talk site. There'll be a transcript up in a few days. And you can read it. And there's your, there's your textbook. Martha Heller, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It was my pleasure, Michael. Thank you. And I hope you'll come back and we'll do it again another time. Are you free tomorrow? <laughs> Next week will be good. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, thanks so much for watching. And uh, come back next week. We have two shows coming up and they're both going to be great. And we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.